Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Wednesday, 7th January, 2017. Today has been better. Making some good progress with the sorting and did well distracting myself this afternoon. I feel like I've been back here for an eternity already. Spent at least an hour chatting with Gregory in the butcher shop. We talked about years ago. Reminisced. Talked about when I was a toddler. Mum would bring me in and Gregory would give me bacon rind to chew on. I preferred it to a dummy, apparently. I stayed and watched him cleave meat from bone from heavy slabs of dead animal. He did it with the action of a man doing something as well practised as breathing. Tendons slicing apart. Fat stretching and snapping with his dexterous fingers, expertly, like he was a concert violin player playing, I don't know, green sleeves or something. The funny thing was, even as a vegetarian, I didn't feel anything. It lost all context. The meat just became red tissue. Not even tissue, dough or something. And the smell. I remember the smell of the butcher's shop sickening me as a child. The smell of death. The smell of rot. Even walking past it would make me gag. But today I barely noticed it. In fact, I found it comforting. Funny how things change so quickly. From one instant to the next, it's as though what went before never existed at all. It's like I'm experiencing everything for the very first time at the moment. Colours are brighter, smells are more fragrant, and people's faces are both more and less recognisable at the same time. Like I remember them viscerally. Like seeing an old and loved teddy bear for the first time after decades. Molly. Strange what time away from a place can do. I'm rambling. I did feel like a nuisance occasionally with Gregory, especially when a customer came in, but on the whole I think he felt sorry for me, so never mentioned it. One customer came in, wearing all white. He had a thick red beard, but he was old, too old to have that full beard of crimson. He stood by the counter and as the sunlight shone in through the window it looked like he was some kind of angel. He welcomed me to the village, but Gregory corrected him, saying I'd grown up here, in the limbo house. Gosh, I hadn't heard it called that for a very long time. Not since I was a teenager. Memories flooded back. We called it the Limbo House because it was halfway up the hill, or halfway down, depending which end you were stood at. It was by itself. The terrace at the bottom, then nothing for a few hundred feet, then our house, then another few hundred feet, then the terrace continued to the top. Don't know who the land between belongs to. There's a pub called the Red Line at the top of the hill. I go there sometimes. I think everyone around the village feels sorry for me. People I haven't seen for years are stopping and talking with me. People I had almost entirely forgotten about. It's strange being back after so long. 
They all look me in the eye with sympathetic glances. I kind of hate it. I kind of wish people just treated me normally. Instead, they sort of peer at me, eyes crinkled at the sides as though they're trying to see underwater. That all being said, the sun shone today and I felt substantially better. David rang while I was sorting through the attic and even he said I sounded better. And you know what David's like. I forgot how bad the reception is back here. I think it's got worse. Every time I speak to him on the phone, it sounds like he's very far away. You know that problem that sometimes happens. It sounds like talking to someone with a phone made from tin cans and string. Don't get me wrong, nothing's changed. I still can't wait to get this place on the market and get back to London. But today has been like being in a dream, floating about. In a way, it just feels like everyone's gone away on holiday for a bit and left me to it. Nothing seems really real. And it's actually a bit comforting how little things change. I'm writing in this same type of thick black diary with gold-edged pages as I have since I can remember. A creature of habit. There's a whole section of my bookshelf dedicated to these identical diaries with non-identical scuffs, stretching back years. A whole life. An entire life in words. Just summed up like that. All written as if I'm writing for a stranger to read after I'm gone. But then again, we all do that in our diaries, don't we? Nobody writes a diary. It's always a memoir, at least. As though when we come to read it back in years to come, we won't be the same person anymore. Things change. Bloody hell, that's for sure. Seeing my handwriting change through the ages would probably be more interesting than the stories that are scrawled in it. I bet it's got progressively more untidy. I worked my tits off trying to get neat handwriting when I was a kid. Put circles in place of dots over the eyes. Some things never change. And then there's Molly. Molly means home. She's a warm, fuzzy feeling. She's a hug around the waist and a strong paw to hold. She's got a good deal of life in her for a teddy bear. Her little button eyes look more alive than most people's, if I'm honest. I'm sat at the kitchen table. The dark wood, sturdy as an ox. I keep finding myself staring at it. I know every little mark on it like I know my own handwriting. I've grown up with this table. I ate my first meal on this table. I had my nappies changed on this table, hopefully not at the same time. People have danced on this table. It's covered in marks, like scars. There's a deep dent where mum dropped, what was it now? A microwave? No, not a microwave. One of those old radios. The one that granny used to have in her living room. The one that we took after she died. Heavy, wooden, with those two dials on it. It'll be around somewhere. Sure, I'll find it before long. Anyway, back on point. There is a scratch in this table that I don't recognise. There's this vertical line in the centre of the table. It's only about a centimetre long, but it's deep, and I swear I've never seen it before. Shows how long I've been away from here, I suppose. Not keeping up to date with the scratches in the table. Looking out the window here, and the garden is filled with a blue glow. Dusk has always been the best time for this garden. It's a dusk garden. In the dim light twinkling through the trees, it looks like it's underwater. Like the seabed. It's calm. The lawn is so overgrown. Maybe I'll get Dad's ride on out tomorrow and give it a going over. Thursday, 8th January 2017. Today has been 
good. Another good day, relatively speaking. I keep missing calls from Colin. He is a good boss, really, but I don't know why he keeps calling me when we agreed that he'd give me time off. As long as it takes, he said. I never catch the phone when he's ringing and I can't call back or every time I do call back, I just get that I'm sorry, but we cannot connect your call at present voice and then it cuts off. Must be a problem with my phone because it's not connecting to anyone, let alone Colin. And there's not been a landline since, well... And no one ever really calls me, except David. Guess I'm marooned here. Stranded. Like castaway. But instead of Wilson, I've got Molly. And my beard isn't as big as Tom Hanks's. Tidied a bit more. More boxes in the cellar. Christmas decorations for some reason. Christmas decorations that I don't recognise one bit. Odd. Molly kept me company all day. She's great company for a teddy bear. Her button eyes just seem to twinkle. She hasn't lost any of the magic or life or realness that she had when I was a kid. But fuck me, excusez me Francais, meters and meters of fairy lights. The bloody things can't have been touched for years and yet they're as tangled as anything. How on earth does that even happen? Why are there so many bloody boxes of Christmas decorations in that cellar? Divided into piles for the charity shop and the skip, which I still need to book. That was a morning gone. David rang. I caught the phone before it cut off. I could tell he was trying to be calm and sympathetic. The phone was doing my head in. Keeps sounding fuzzy and cuts out occasionally. Such a bad line. Such terrible reception here. Makes me realise how much I rely on these things. Take all this technology for granted. He said that he misses me immensely. Keeps trying to convince me to stop this silly business, as he calls it, and come back. I find this a bit of a dick thing to say, but that's David. He lets things get to him and doesn't have a censor. Because of that, I wound him up by telling him that Colin keeps leaving me missed calls. He's convinced that Colin fancies me, so I made sure I mentioned Colin as much as I could manage, which made him all passive-aggressive. I love it when Dave is passive-aggressive. Not because it's sexy, because it's funny. And let's face it, I'm not with him for his sexiness. God, I hope he reads this. It'll put him in a mood and that'll mean great makeup sex. Davy baby, if you're reading this, unless you come here right now and give me a massive snog, I'm going to run away with Colin because he actually irons his shirts and socks and underpants. Ooh, how do I know that, Davy? How do I know that? Just had dinner with Molly. Beans on toast. Shit. Forgot to mow the lawn. God, this house feels empty without anyone in it. It's eerily quiet. When it was quiet before, it was just the quiet of people making no noise. Now it's the quiet of no people making no noise. Just noticed another scratch on the table, next to the vertical line. There's a small, deep, horizontal line just next to it. Missed that yesterday. Jeezy crazy, overthink things when there's no one to talk to. Scratches on the table. Gonna watch something on Netflix. Bloody hell, I definitely hope you aren't reading this now, David. Shit. Internet's been cut off. No Netflix. I'll just get an early night and cuddle Molly. Over and out. Friday, 9th January, 2017. 
Today has been awful. Nothing but tears. I got the ride on out this morning to mow the lawn. Well, no, it started earlier than that. I woke up to the loud banging of pipes at 5am. Echoing round the house scared me half to death. My pyjamas were sodden, wet through. Sweat. I must have been having a nightmare or something. And it's such an old house that when the taps are running, the pipes bang like crazy. And I'm the only person here, or has been here for months, which makes things 100% more spooky. So there's this banging echoing all through the house, like someone trying to smash through a window or something. Bang, bang, bang. And it woke me up. And good thing too, because I ran across the landing to the bathroom and the taps on the bath are running at full whack. Scared the shit out of me. Can you imagine? I froze on the spot. Who turned the taps on? I resolved that it must have been me because I've been known to sleepwalk and it wouldn't be the first time I've gone and used an appliance in my sleep. Scared my mum half to death when I was 14 and she found me asleep at the blender. Anyway, the room was dark and the bath was half full and I just saw the water and began to weep. I turned off the taps and threw up into the toilet. I don't know what came over me. I'd just seen a body of water like that. It's giving me panic attacks. I tried to sleep again, but all I could see were their faces. I tried calling Dave, but I couldn't get through. Then after breakfast, and this is getting really strange now, I noticed another scratch on the table. But then again, it might have been there all along. It's another vertical line down from the horizontal one. Looks like a seven now. A one and a seven, yes, that's it. The scratches are only faint, and I'd reckon that no one but me would notice them. Anyway, fucking scratches. <laughs> Excuse me, Francaise. I feel like I'm going mad. Milkman came and picked up the empty bottles. Or rather, milk lady. Samantha. God, I don't know how she does it. She's been delivering milk to the street now for what must be 20 years. Day in, day out. Blue label, green, red, silver. She's done them all. And cream and sometimes homemade cheesecake. I tried to pay her, or a week's milk money, but she just stared at me. She didn't know what to say to me and wouldn't take the money. I've never seen her so stumped. I suppose she would be. She's been delivering to us for as long as I can remember and for an entire family to just die like that. Well, aside from me, of course. I suppose she must be mourning. As much as she would if it had happened to any of her friends. She's definitely a friend. Came to mum and dad's pearl wedding anniversary after all. So I held out a crisp tenner for her and she pushed my hand away and said that she had only ever taken money off my mother and wouldn't start taking it from anyone else at this house. I told her how silly that was. Mum's dead. Fuck, I think that's the first time I've ever written those words. I said I need milk and no amount of denial is going to bring her back. She just smiled at me faintly like a hint of a sea breeze, and said that the milk wouldn't stop. She'd do as she had done every day since I was a baby, but would not, under any circumstances, take my money. Said I was like a niece to her. She'd seen me grow up, go to school, become a goth for a bit, go to uni, move to London, get a job, and now... And now... She got on board her milk float and sailed down the street to where the terrace began again. 
I closed the door and collapsed in a pile on the floor. I lay in the dust and sobbed. I'm not proud of it. I've always been the strong one of the family. I've always been the one to hold everyone together. But Samantha, Samantha the milkman, she'd brought it home. Seeing her face and talking to her about it, or at least saying those words, they, they made it real, realer. I sobbed and couldn't believe it. It just doesn't happen. People die one by one. We grieve bit by bit. We do it in manageable bite-sized chunks. But the magnitude hit me like a tanker at sea. Mum, Dad, Grace and Tom. Dead. An entire family. An entire generation of memories. An entire generation of possibilities. And I just lay there and part of me wished I had gone on that cruise too. Part of me wished I had fucked off my new job and Colin and gone on that cruise, gone down with them. I was drowning in my own tears, gurgling phlegm like a fucking muppet and contemplating the harsh reality of life without them, without this house. I calmed myself down and hugged Molly, cuddled the shit out of Molly nibbled on her furry paw like I did as a kid and felt her softness as I stroked her on my neck. I'm not going to be able to single-handedly as a 26-year-old prepare to sell a house if I just sit around crying all day. Get a grip. There was another knock at the door. Standing outside was the old man from the butcher's shop with that beard of fiery crimsons and reds. He looked at me sensitively, almost like a grandparent. Gregory had told him the news. He said that he understood if I thought he was getting involved, out of place, overstepping the mark, especially as we are practically strangers, but told me that he's got experience with death. Sometimes a stranger is the best person to talk to. Said he'd be happy to lend an ear. Help me come to find acceptance. There are five stages of grief, he said ending with acceptance and beginning with denial. I'm not denying anything. I'm fine. I'm normal. And I told him. I said that I appreciated his kindness, and I did, but I'm not really ready to talk about it. Not really. I'm here to do a job. I just need to get it done while I can, while it doesn't feel real. It's easiest. He nodded. He had expected that answer. He said that he'd be back when I was ready to start moving on, and if I ever needed him, he'll be there. He had a smile that could make anybody feel safe. He was kind. But kindness just makes me upset at the moment. His name was Darwin. David rang. I ignored it and went to the garden to mow the shit out of some grass. The ride-on felt smaller than it used to. Dad's favourite thing. He built it from scratch like a total boss. I remember he had just made it and the green paint was fresh and the rubber seat didn't have any mould on it and he gave me a go. He instructed me emphatically that I was to mow in lines, back and forth, so it looked like a posh lawn. The mower has a roller on the back so it leaves lines. And there I was, and it went fast. For a six or seven-year-old it went fast and I thought it would be better if I mowed the lawn in spirals. So I did. I was laughing so hard. When Dad came out, he wasn't angry at all, but pretended he was. He came marching after me, pretending to be an ogre, 
and I was laughing so much and not looking where I was going and crashed it into the garage wall. It was all skewed and the moor itself had got caught on the brick trellis and had destroyed all the mechanism. Well, then he was angry, but didn't show it. I could tell he was angry because the muscle in his jaw was going up and down like he was grinding his teeth together. He just quietly told me to go inside and he'd look after it. Classic dad. I remember him working late, late into the night. And the next day, the mower was good as new. He was amazing. And as I was mowing today, I was imagining all that and imagining him chasing after me and I started to laugh. Started to laugh like a child. The ice cream van. That's funny. It still plays the same tune that it always did. Nothing changes in this town. I looked up to the house, and believe it or bloody not, David was standing in Grace's bedroom window in the attic, looking right at me, peering over the windowsill with a look of glee on his face. His white eyes were open so wide that they looked unnatural, with a smile wider than his face ought to go. I crashed the mower. I crashed it, and the mechanism got all destroyed. It was a write-off. Destroyed Dad's old repairs. Fuck. History repeats itself. It doesn't come as much as a surprise that it took me 12 goals to pass my driving test. But it didn't matter. Because David's come to visit, I thought. I looked back to the window and David was gone. It had put goosebumps all the way up and down my body. I was so bloody happy that David's come back to surprise me. The mower, with its crumbling paint and mouldy seat, is ruined. Forever. Now no one is around to fix it. But I sat there. He must have seen me crash the thing. He must have seen that I had seen him. I sat there and waited for him to appear from the back door. Waited and waited. Resolved he had hidden, playing a game. Typical. Hide and seek. Okay then. He saw me crash the ride on but didn't come to help. He'll pay for that. I was so excited. I haven't seen him for weeks. Inside, I couldn't find him anywhere. To be honest, I did all I could not to get angry at him. Time and place, David, I thought. I called up to Grace's room, but no response. I don't like going up to Grace's room. He knows that. Bastard was still hiding in there. So I go to call him. Smoke him out via ringtone. Ascertain his exact location with my smartphone. But not so smart, are you, David? Because my phone worked and it's ringing. And I craned my neck to hear up into Grace's room to hear him. He answers. It's that same awful, crackly line. He kept breaking up. I said, David, you can come out now, you bastard. I think they were my exact words. What are you talking about? Very amusing, David. He replied, but I couldn't hear him very well. I pulled the phone away to hear him speaking in the house, but all was silent. You're not here, I asked. No, I'm not. David isn't here. Who on earth did I see in that window? Who the bloody hell was in Grace's room? Now it's evening, and I feel drained. Sat in the dim light of the dining room, staring out at the half-moon lawn and the carcass of Dad's old ride-on, and I don't feel alone in this house. Every creak sets me on edge. Feel like there's ghosts here. 
I realised that this is the longest I've ever been in this house by myself. I put a table in front of Grace's door. Whatever's in there can bloody well stay in there. Productive fucking day. Saturday, 10th January 2017. Today was much better. Felt positive, if anything. Enjoying basking in the world of memory. It's a strange place. The oddest things, most inconsequential things stand out, but I suppose it's those things that are important. I spent the day clearing out Tom's room, going through his things. Discovered his porn collection, filthy bugger. I felt the pan of an older sister's responsibilities. Couldn't wait to drop the bombshell to mum and dad that he's gay. In a way, I kind of knew. I think we all did, really. I mean, when other boys were looking at pictures of boobs and fannies, Tom just had Richard Hammond posters. What we assumed was a slightly over-enthusiastic like for top gear turns out to be just god-awful taste in men. Still using porn mags when the internet exists, though. Tom is, was, a good five years younger than me, so we aren't really that close. Now, now I know that he's, was gay. God, I wish I'd made more effort. I'd love a gay brother. We could talk about boys and things. He would probably make a better sister than Grace. Oh my God, I've just realised that his best friend growing up was called Dorothy. He's literally a friend of Dorothy. Oh, for fuck's sake, I wish he hadn't died. Typical. He was the only person to like Mr Whippy. And then I thought, fuck it, I'm going to have a Mr Whippy in Tom's honour. From the old ice cream van. The same as when we were kids. Have a 99er for £2, 12p and get it all around my mouth like he did every day when he came with mum to pick me up from the school bus stop. As I was leaving the room to run out to the ice cream van, I got a splash of water on my head and noticed that there was water trickling through a big, round, damp patch on the ceiling. It must have been coming from the attic conversion. Grace's room. Oh, for fuck's sake. I moved the table barricade, opened the creaky door and hesitantly made my way upstairs to the attic. It was cold a noticeably different temperature from the rest of the house. I hadn't been up here yet. Couldn't face it. Grace's room. I climbed the stairs slowly, scared of what I might find. Grace was always certain that there was a ghost in her room, and I believed her. She'd wake up and all of the mobiles hanging from her ceiling would be spinning, and then she got rid of the mobiles and next it was the knocking, the tap, tap, tapping of a something in her room. She used to run to my room, get into bed with me, cry that the girl was back. The baby girl scared me too. Once, when I walked in to prove to her that there was nothing there, the television was on. I turned it off and said, Hello? To the ghost in this room, can you go away please? And then, after no response, I went to leave but saw that the bed sheets were piled up like someone was underneath them, and in the split second before I ran for the door, I saw a child's frightened eyes peering out over the covers. A child young enough to be classified a baby. I never told her that. I walked up the stairs and could hear a noise coming from the room, like running water. My hairs stood on end, like I was being watched. I felt braver than usual. 
Grace was a year younger than me. She was my best friend. I spoke to her every day. She knew everything about me, about my relationship with Dave, about how I lost my virginity later than most because I wanted to get practice at the other stuff, and then her room, exactly as she had left it. Piles of detritus everywhere from packing to go on the cruise. It was dim, and there was a breeze coming from the gap under the window. I went into her ensuite and both taps were on. Water was filling the room and soaking through the floor. God knows how long they had been on for. I turned them off and felt faint. How had the taps turned on? They must have been on for some time. Then I saw Molly lying on the floor, wet, button eyes gazing up at me like little galaxies. I must have subconsciously been carrying her. You know how sometimes you have things in your hands without realising? I dried her off and lay on Grace's bed. A piece of paper was next to me. A leaflet. Deluxe cruises. I began to shake. There was a picture of the cruise ship, HMS Starlight. I imagined it lying on the seabed, full of bodies. How could it happen? How the fuck did it happen? Boats don't sink. Cruise ships don't sink. They've got things nowadays, things to stop it going down, don't they? And I got flashes of the dinner hall, where they were, apparently. I got flashes of them sat at the table enjoying themselves. A band or string quartet or something would have been playing, surely. And as they sank, their faces gulping in water. I don't know what came over me then. I walked into the ensuite, feeling the water wrap around my toes and put the plug in the sink and turned on the taps. Everything was smooth. Noise was far away. Nothing felt real. I felt like I was on acid or something. Felt like I could hear the slow and rhythmic heartbeat of the universe. I plunged my face into the water and held myself there. Tried to breathe in the water. Tried to drown. Tried to go the same way that Mum and Dad and Tom and Grace went. Tried to feel what they felt. Tried to be with them. Yes, 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 obviously I didn't succeed. Or I wouldn't be sat here again another fucking night at the fucking table writing this stupid fucking diary. It's fucking difficult to commit suicide, okay? Excuse me, Francaise. And David, if you're reading this, which I hope you're not... Just don't mention to me that you have. I don't want to know if you know what I tried to do, okay? And now I've just looked up and Molly is sat staring at me with her fucking stupid fucking button eyes from the other side of the table and it's weird because I left her on the bed in Grace's room. And there's another mark. An N. One, seven, N. Good night. Sunday, 11th January, 2017. Today was horrible. Stayed in bed all day. Didn't eat. A circle has appeared next to the N on the table. It wasn't there before. I'm sure it wasn't there before. The house is obviously haunted. And what does haunted even mean? I see ghosts everywhere, in memories... Memories are ghosts. This house is haunted with memories. 
I can't bear the memories anymore. I can't bear to think. I hear mum's voice, dad's voice, doors open and closed by themselves now. I leave something dry and find it wet a moment later to remember, remember, shut up, shut up, shut up. Monday, 12th January 2017. Today was... Tuesday, 13th January 2017. Today... Wednesday, 14th January 2017. Thursday, 15th January 2017. Today was... more awake than the last few. Sorry. Skipped those days. Haven't skipped a day for years. The last few days have just been a blur of... of... I've been eating paracetamol like they're sweets. Been throbbing around the house. Trying... Just trying to block out the memories. Trying to overcome the anger. Dull the pain. Numb the frustration. Molly has been moving around the house like a real-life fucking bear, like she's just wandering about of her own free will, although I never see her move. Keep finding her sitting in different places, and I can't remember ever moving her. I've been walking into rooms and forgetting why I ever went there in the first place, like something directionless is directing me. Like I'm trapped somewhere between consciousness and unconsciousness. Trapped. I've been lashing out, hitting things, smashing things. I smashed Mum's collection of Royal Crown Derby plates because... because... I'm angry. Really. Why did they have to go on that trip? Why would they not do more to survive? But, look... I'm feeling better today. Ish, I suppose. Anger is normal. This is all normal, I suppose. There are those five stages of grief, they say, and denial is one. Then anger is the next. Textbook. So I'm just right. I've got to start learning to forgive myself. Got to start understanding that this is all normal. Mum visited me in my dreams last night. It was like having her back. She was holding that old radio from Granny, the one that put the dent into the table. She was smiling at me. The smile that she passed on to Grace, and she flicked the radio on. It was that fucking tune. The ice cream van. Will green sleeves ever stop? Fuck off green sleeves, I thought. And now it's muscled its way into my grief. It played and played, and Mum looked at me like she was trying to make me hear it afresh. Really listen. She held one hand out to me as if trying to make me join her. She kept mouthing the word, remember. But I couldn't move. I wanted to join her, but it seemed that something was holding me back. Like I was set in glue, a fly in amber. Her face twisted and contorted. It became grotesque as she started rotting in front of me, as her face slowly became blue and swollen, like it had been bloated with drowning. The whites of her eyes began to throb with red, bloodshot. Her lips greyed and her hair began floating away in the air, but all the while, remember, 
don't know where it had come from. Such revolting dreams. Like seeing her die right before my eyes. I tried getting to her, but every time I did, she swelled more into a distorted horizon and green sleeves. I just felt that if I could get to her, I'd be able to bring her back. I'd be able to beat her chest, empty it of water, resuscitate her. But that's bargaining, isn't it? The third stage. Nothing original. Unique. Just a dream. A nightmare. I woke up sweating, soaking with sweat. Screaming, I think. Gasping, crying. I felt like I'd seen mother's death for real. It's been repeating on me all day. Keep seeing flashbacks of it, making me queasy. Upset. I don't know what it means, but... I'm not into that dream decoding bullshit. I think it's just all part of the journey. Friday, 16th January 2017. Today has been low, but has been getting better. You must not underestimate this guilt I feel for being alive. But I've been quite good at pulling myself together. What's the point in moping? It's normal. Depression is the fourth stage. So just let myself be depressed. Think bad thoughts. Allow it. The way out is to focus. Get on with the job. The sooner I get it done, the sooner I'm back to London with Dave. It's funny. I've forgotten what life was like before this. I've forgotten home. London home. I've forgotten the life that David and I have made. It's like my skull is full of cobwebs. I spent the morning throwing away old bills. Or rather, throwing them into boxes and taking them outside to make a bonfire. I love bonfires. I love the smell of smoke. The smell of smoke. The smell of smoke coming at me. All angles wafting around me, filling my nostrils, filling my lungs like memories, filling my head. Reminds me of being a kid. And I want my clothes to stink of smoke and I want my hair to reek of it too. There were loads of old bills, going back years and years. Mum did the accounts for the house and kept every receipt and bill and bit of paperwork in a small cold room off of the kitchen. She probably did it knowing that someone would have to empty it out when she died. She was a bit of a cow like that. Bills, 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 and then a photo of a man in a red velvet jacket holding a baby. He looked vaguely familiar. Still trying to work out where I know him from. Put the photo to one side, just in case. During the afternoon, I took a stroll into the village to get some firelighters and marshmallows. When I locked the big old front door behind me, I could hear the echo of the key in the lock reverberate all the way down the hallway. The house sounded hollow now. I have thrown out a lot of stuff. Down the road, down the hill and along the terraces. Number 86. Daniel's house. Tom used to go and play badminton with him in that back garden. Number 81. Gregory, the butcher's house. Never been in, but the net curtains are disgusting. Number 78. There is, from time to time, a big blue tractor that parks in the driveway. I've always wondered if one of the people that lives there is having an affair with a farmer, and if they are, how brilliantly inconspicuous it is. Number 60. Iona's house. Grace's best friend at primary school. They used to make the longest daisy chains and pretend to be penguins. Dorks. Number 55. Dom's house. My first kiss. I was five, he was eight. Dave's an older man too, by three months. Number 49. The dickhead mum had an affair with. Number 40, A, B and C, flats, tiny flats. 
I remember them converting the house and somewhere in the cement is my handprint and signature from when I crept into the building site with Alex while it was still wet. Winner. Number 36. Don't know the name of the man there, but he's the fattest man I've ever seen. There were rumours at school that he had actually eaten a child. Number 31. Missing. Used to belong to the Ashford family before it burnt down. Not with them inside, sadly. They were racists. Number 26. Herbert and Juliana Grange used to live there. He accidentally killed their son in a car accident and then they went on holiday for a bit and he never came back. He stayed in America, apparently. She's got a new boyfriend now. Number 25 is the last house of the row. George Frick used to live there before his family moved away to Milton Keynes. I miss George Frick. I wandered past the playground. Grace, aged six, cut open her chin pretending to shave with Dad's razor and some bubble bath. She had two stitches. Goes through me, just thinking about it. Ugh. She was on the swing there and jumped off like a right little smart arse, showing off, and fell and hit her chin again, split open the stitches and blood everywhere. She screamed with a capital S. In fact, all capitals. She screamed. Mum was always calm in moments like that. She just spoke softly and took Grace back to the hospital to redo the stitches. She was great like that. Her and Dad. They weren't panickers. They were steadfast and strong. I think to the crews and I bet, I bet they were the ones keeping level-headed, helping others before themselves, calming people down as the water rose up. It made me smile for quite some time. Mum and Dad, top bloody marks, you legends. I recognised the people in the shop, but couldn't pin any of them down, which is odd for the village. I nearly always know someone enough to chat to, anywhere I go. After living like a hermit for four days, I could have done with a chat. Even the shop assistant was new. He had a large birthmark on his face, which he had tried to hide with a thin moustache. There were four men dressed in white morning suits with red flowers in their buttonholes. They were holding instruments. Looked like they were going to play at a fancy drinks reception or something. They were all wet. Strange. Was it raining? As I went down the aisle for the marshmallows, I tripped over a toy steamboat, sending it smashing into the bottom shelf opposite. I reached down to grab it and saw that it belonged to a little boy. He started crying when he saw that the chimney had snapped off the boat. I tried to apologise, but he ran away to his mother, presumably. What an odd collection of people. The shop felt weird, to be honest. It's only once I left that I realised that there was no music playing. It makes a difference to go shopping in silence. On the way back, I thought I saw Grace, standing in the ship. Pub. I saw this bloke flirting with a girl through the window. She had Grace's hair. I almost ran through the door and grabbed her, scorned her for letting me think she was dead. It wasn't her. I had the bonfire and was tipping boxes of paperwork onto it. It was getting dark, but the fire illuminated the garden and I felt like a child again when we would sit around the campfire and eat marshmallows as a family. They are some of my happiest memories. It was quite devastating to be sat there alone, outside a big old house in a big old garden by myself. I should have invited someone over. Wish David could have come to visit. I took the last box of bills and tipped it over the fire. It went up in flames and burned in reds and yellows. I sat and began roasting a marshmallow when I noticed Molly in the fire. She must have been tipped in from the box. I didn't know how on earth she'd gotten there. I tried to fish her out with a stick. Her button eyes were melting, by the time I got her out of the fire, she had near enough burnt away entirely. I couldn't help it. I started to cry again. It set me off. Really set me off. 
I was whirling around in my head. Molly is dead. Stupid fucking thing to say about a fucking teddy bear. And then... It must have been my mind. Playing. Tricks. Mind playing. Play tricks on on me. Far-fetched as it sounds, I... 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 I just... Oh, God. Yes, my mind playing tricks on me. Because I saw... Under a tree... I saw... Under a tree... The tree, the tree with our treehouse in. And I must be going fucking crazy because here I am crying and sobbing by myself in the garden. And Molly is dead. Molly is dead. And the whistling, as I see under the tree, beneath, and water. And water is gushing in at me from all angles. And, and, and it's just water everywhere. Choking in brine like tuna and stuck in a can, a can like a tuna in brine. And Molly is dead and under a tree. This fucking whistling under the tree, he's soaking, completely sodden, in a dinner suit. Dad. My mind was spinning. I promise you. I was blurry-eyed and not making any sense, and I just saw Dad standing, sodden. He was sodden, and he was blue, and he had his eyes shut. He looked in pain. It hurt me to see. I must have taken Molly burning badly because I was seeing my fucking father in the shadow of a tree, and, and I've never seen a dead body before, but I'm pretty sure that's what one looks like. But he was standing up. I ran inside and started writing my diary. This entry, now. This is now, and I'm inside, and breathing. Making myself breathe. And here I am, just fucking writing. I wrote through the day, streamlining my thoughts, working through my memories, trying to look back through my life, my day. And I've just noticed... The scratches on the table. There's more. Day by day, the scratches must have been appearing because now it's clear what it was beginning to say. One, seven, N, O, V, one, six. 17, November, 16. I flick back through my diary to the 17th of November last year. Tuesday 17th November 2016 We've settled into the boat nicely It's going to be a nice cruise I think Looking forward to having a fortnight away with the family And this is Molly's first holiday too Taking lots of photos so she has something to look back on She's gurgling away like she does She's such a happy baby David is fussing over her crazy like he does He's such a worried father So scared that something might happen to her I keep telling him to chill out He got all dressed up for dinner tonight in that red velvet jacket that Dad got him. He's been waiting for an excuse to wear that. The cabin is nice. All we need. Everyone seems to have children with them, which is nice, because I had worried that we'd be a nuisance with Molly. Kids everywhere. I made a little boy cry today because I tripped over his toy boat, snapped the chimney off it. Felt bad, but he ran away before I got time to buy him a new one from the gift shop. Grace has already found a boy that she's flirting with. 
I saw them through the window to the bar on deck. Tom seems to have made friends too with a few of the boys his age. Good to see him making friends so easily. He's usually a little awkward. Spectacular views of the Scottish coast as we were pulling away from harbour. On the other side of deck is just endless sea. Colin kept leaving me missed calls. Something must have gone wrong at the office. I'll call him back tomorrow if I can. Just to make a point that holiday is holiday and to leave me alone. David is sure that he fancies me. But so what if he does? He is handsome. I wrote that for you, Davy Wavy, in case you ever sneak a look at my diary. Haha. <laughs> Dinner tonight. We were served by a waiter with the worst moustache I've ever seen. Although it does look like it's covering a pretty hefty birthmark. He was funny. He kept commenting on Dave's velvet jacket, which was making Dave and Dad very pleased. He told us that apparently we're going to be hitting some bad weather tonight, just in case we get seasick. Please, no. (laughs) There was live music too. God, feel so posh. A string quartet. White suits with red flowers in their buttonholes. Looked like they were going to be playing at some fancy drinks reception or something. They played all the... the... classics. And literally staring at that diary entry and can't quite make head or tail of it. But I wasn't on the cruise. But it's my handwriting with circles above the eyes. And slowly, and then like a dam bursting, memories are flooding back to me. I can feel wet around my feet. Water is rising. The kitchen is filling with water. The house is rocking this way and that. I remember now. The engine exploded. We all, all of us, Mum, Dad, Grace, Tom, David, me, Molly. I was there too. I was there too. I didn't... I didn't stay home. I didn't... survive. The water is up to my neck. The kitchen is filling. How is there so much water? I've never seen so much water. Molly died. And I'm back there, seeing what I saw, but in my kitchen. Water is rising, soaking the furniture. My phone is ringing. It's illuminating the water like a tropical fish tank. Colin's name, flashing up on the screen. I reach out for the phone, hoping to get it an answer and get him to send help or do anything, but by the time I stretch my fingers out for it, it goes fuzzy. The screen distorts and goes black as the water wraps its tendrils around its workings, like a cancer. My diary is wet and it's floating away from me, gold-edged pages flaying in the water like a paper jellyfish, and now there's only a gap near the ceiling and I'm treading, treading treading water and trying to breathe through the morsel of air and Molly is dead and my diary is disintegrating in the water and no one will know, no one will have read these, my memoir lost and Molly is bang, bang, bang. The pipes are banging and echoing around the room as I gasp for air in the gap by the picture rail. The room is full, the pipes are banging louder than they have ever like every tap in the entire house has been turned on and more. Bang, bang, bang. And Molly is dead. Bang. The water has filled the gap and bang.
And I'm under. It's all quieter here, apart from the bangs, which resonate inside my skull like the explosion in the engine room. Bang! Molly! Where's Bang? Molly! I look to the window and see a man dressed in a uniform. He has a birthmark on his lip which he has tried to cover with a moustache. I recognise him. He is floating outside the window. He is underwater too, but the window looks different and everything outside has gone. It looks like the sea. Endless sea. The octopus's garden. It's a dusk garden and looks like the seabed when the light dapples in through the trees and, and, and the man with the moustache is banging on the glass. Bang! He's banging on the glass with a spanner but he can't break it. Bang! Bang! He's trying to save me and then, 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 behind him, I see Dad. Blue, floating, dead. I've never seen a dead person, but I'm pretty sure that that's what one looks like. And then there's another figure, smaller, a little bundle, floating, like a helpless teddy bear, unmoving. Molly, she's all swollen, like a puffer fish. My baby, swollen, and putrid. And I don't recognise her. Her little black eyes open. It's worse. Worse because it looks like she's looking at me and her eyes are bloodshot and it doesn't look like her. Bang! The house is full, flooded. It's all flooded and full and I'm not breathing. I'm not panicking. And the man is trying to break the glass, trying to save me. No, saving. I didn't. Survive. You can't save me. I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. You're wasting your efforts. I might be dead now, but I'm still alive in the past. But now I'm... and... I didn't... survive. I realise now... I had to remember. I had to remember Molly. Not block it out. Not deny it. I couldn't rewrite my history. I had to embrace the grief realize that Molly is dead and there's nothing I can do about it. I didn't come back here at all. Here came back to me. To help me. To help me remember. Hello? It's a knock. I can't make it to the door. The water is pushing me down. The current's too strong. The pressure. The weight is against me. I manage... I float down the hallway, swim down the hallway. I grip the door handle and twist. I put my feet on the door frame and pull hard against the water pressure. The door creaks. Water spills between the gap. Then it pulls wide. Water gushes out of the house like a burst dam, like a fireman's hose. The driveway takes the water. Gravel pushed around like pebbles on a beach. The house empties. Rain is now pouring down, and standing at the door again, not flinching, is the old man with the red beard. Water streams either side of him, and he stands, with a smile that could warm the heart of an iceberg. He smiles at me and reaches out his wrinkly hand. Have you reached it yet? he asks. Reached what? Acceptance. 
tears erupt from my eyes like, like, joy. I know who he is, the grim reaper. I join him in the rain. It's pouring, it's mixing with my tears and, and standing on the curb waiting for me is mum and dad and Tom and Grace and David. And in his arms, in his arms is Molly reaching her hands to me like I've been missed. I take one last look at Limbo House and follow them into the wet. Heirloom was voiced by Helen Derbyshire. Alright, and that was it. So, um, Arthur, what is next? Uh, next month, we have The Psychic. Okay, yeah, yeah, this one is about psychic mediums. It is, it's one of my, it's one of my favourites, I think. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it's one of my favourites too. Great, well there we go, we don't need to say anything else, do we? No, no. How can people get in touch? Good question. You can search for us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Search for At Your Peril Podcast. We'll be there somewhere knocking about. Please do get in touch with us. Uh, share, follow, talk about the podcasts. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Great. All right. Lots of love. See you next month. <laughs>